coming up in this episode of Finding Common Ground. In 1968, I was at the Democratic Convention and got tear gassed and chased and almost arrested. Yeah. I'm black, Mark. I'm the good looking black guy who's a Christian. Help me understand your form of Christianity versus Trumpism. There are many, many people that made the decision to break the law that day and behave stupidly, and uh, and they should be held accountable. I voted for Trump twice. I'm not going to ever vote for him again. And I'm going to be very cautious of candidates that he endorses. There are two sides to every coin. How do we deal with racial issues when they affect relationships? Finding common ground on all those issues that we come against. There's black and there's white. And I think as Christians, we have to learn how to get together because we're not in heaven. I've met more interesting people just by God just bringing them in. Republicans and Democrats. But a lot of times when it comes to race and it comes to culture and it comes to perception, even as Christians, we don't always understand. We look at it through our lenses. There's Bill. I grew up in a suburb of Cleveland called Parma. Uh, Any black people in Parma? There was not one. Not one black person, Bill? Not one. Come on, Bill, you got to have one, a token black person, a token. And there's Odell. I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina, public housing, single mom, divorced single mom with four kids, and I came up through segregation and all that kind of stuff. If a black person drove through the town, the police would stop and escort them out. Bill and Odell are finding common ground. A part of what we have to do is listen to each other, find the common ground, and question, not questioning you like you're on a witness stand, but questioning you for a better understanding. Father God, we come to you praying for our country. God, we all love America. We pray for America. We love democracy. We pray for democracy. We love our fellow human being, God. God, please continue to help us as leaders because being a leader is so much responsibility and accountability, but we didn't put ourselves in this position, God. You put us there. And God, remind us why you put us in leadership position. And God, if we don't do what you've asked us to do, ask that you remove me. As we continue to search the hearts of your people, Because as leaders, God, we're blessed to make decisions that affect so many people. Holy Spirit, help us in our decision-making. Let it be about the people and not about us. God, I love you. I thank you for my family. I thank you for pulling me out of poverty and giving me two pennies I could rub together. God, I know it's not me. Because when I look around, so many people who grew up with me in my neighborhood, many are dead now, many went to prison, many didn't make it, but some did. So it's not by me, God, it's by your grace and mercy. So I just say thank you for blessing me. Thank you for taking the time to see about old Odell. Thank you, God, for trusting me to be a leader and trusting me with your word. So God, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' precious name, we pray and believe. Amen. 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 Dear Heavenly Father, just as we land on this day, January 6th, where a year ago we had our capital, nation's capital attacked, people killed. Um, We ask for healing uh, as our nation continues to have many, many rifts. Lord, we ask you to raise up leaders that can help bridge those rifts and help us grow and work together as opposed to working against each other. Lord, we're asking you 
to help us find our common ground in America. Amen. Father, we pause just for a moment. I, I think of two things that you left us with is to love you with all of our uh, heart, soul, and mind and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And that seems to be the more challenging one at times. Um, Lord, there's different theories and practicums on how we're to love our neighbor. We want to be truthful, but um, but Lord, if 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 your love and the reflection and representation of love of the Christ is missed, then, then we really haven't gained very much. So we're living very partisan and difficult times and, and these battle lines. And Lord, we just need your wisdom. In Proverbs 3, you've told us that you would uh, make our path straight when we trust in you. We claim that promise today. Uh, guide us. We thank you for Bill and Odell and this podcast, but really this ministry uh, that you've provided for them, this fresh and new creative. I, may, I pray right now that you would expand it uh, for your kingdom, for your glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 So, Odell, do you have a good holiday? Bill, I had a great holiday. I saw family and friends, but you know, today I'm just feeling emotional. And, you know, the good looking black guy is not usually emotional all the time, except when I see my grandkids and my family. But as we think and ponder about our country, uh, it's been a lot of people who saying gloom and doom, democracy is fragile. And I agree with all that. But I believe in God. I believe in, in God we trust that's on our notes and God we trust that we learn about. I believe in America and I believe in the goodness of the people. But, you know, I don't know, Bill. It's, it's, it's I believe that we're going to be okay. However, I don't think we're going to be okay by just wishing that we're going to be okay. What's your thoughts? Well, you know, over the holidays, I traveled a lot. Uh, I went to Denver for the scouts to do some training and spent time with them. and. Uh, and then I, Dory flew in and we went up to Vail, Colorado, went snow skiing and we're hanging around folks there. And then, uh, and then I came back from that and I went down to South Carolina to go, uh, was going to go do some fishing, but the weather was bad. So I went bourbon shopping instead. And, uh, and then, then I came back from that and we drove to Cleveland and we spent, you know, a week in Cleveland. And, uh, you know, it was interesting as I went around that I was observing people in this whole COVID thing, particularly the new, uh, Omicron variant and uh people are tired they're tired of this and uh they're waiting for it to be gone but you know i i wondered when i was traveling through all those places that how, how much was i exposed you know i'm i'm double vaccinated i haven't gotten a booster yet because i'm not eligible but uh so i was kind of concerned uh there are a lot of protocols taken the uh but i found the mood of the people uh COVID aside was very very stout in that they mm. were wanting to move on move forward get this behind us and get back to their normal life and the uh and i i, I chatted with them about uh politics a little bit uh, uh COVID a little bit about january 6th a little bit and they uh they had those big fires out there we talked about that so it's interesting. I think the mood of the people, at least that I was with, uh, I didn't see any issues on airplanes. All the planes were packed. All the airports were packed. Uh, the interesting thing is when we got to Cleveland, normally we have about 48, 50 people that come to Christmas Eve. We had eight. And wow. uh, they are very, very COVID paranoid in Cleveland. Uh, it was in Cuyahoga County where Parma's at. Uh, it, it was spiking. You mean my Parma? Your my, Parma. The Parma with the do we have black people in Parma now, Bill? Yes, yes, we have two. Okay, okay. 
They just came in since this podcast. <laughs> uh, and guess what their names are? I, I'm not even going to talk that. What's their <laughs> name, Bill? What, what are the two black people in Palmer named Bill? Odell and Calvin. Ah, uh, come on. Come <laughs> on. You know what? You know what? I'm, I'm going to leave that alone. But let me tell you something else that um, I saw, Bill. Political. You know, you know, I'm a big political person. And on political, a national, <laughs> a whole national thing on our friend, it says, Former GOP congressman faces Trump squeeze and key Senate race, right? And then they have this good-looking picture. And you know, Bill, let, let me tell you something. I think I was listening to the podcast, and we always talk about this guy's good-looking and that guy's good-looking. You know, our, our audience probably said, "What's what's up with those two guys? They always talk about good-looking men and all this kind of stuff." We're just not haters, Bill. We're just not haters. You know, we <laughs> we, we you know, men never say this guy's good-looking anything like that. So it is what it is. But then I see this good looking guy and this is a friend of mine and under it says former congressman's Senate bid remains in limbo after former president Donald Trump earlier this month privately offered to endorse Walker to run for a newly drawn House seat instead. Now, it's like, is this our Mark Walker? who's making national news, who's all over the national publications, Bill. Bill, what's going on? Well, I think it is. I think it is. In fact, uh, he's sitting here across from me looking at your uh, pretty face on Zoom. And uh, let's introduce him and, and bring him in and let's ask him some questions about this and about other things related to the election. Uh, Mark Walker, welcome to our podcast. And folks that don't know Mark, Mark was a congressman for Three terms? That's correct. 2015 to January of last year, 2021. That's great. And you were on the, what committees were you on? Well, I served first as the chairman of the Republican Study Committee. I was blessed to be the first new member ever elected to the largest caucus there in Congress. Uh, also served as the ranking member on intelligence and counterterrorism for our Homeland Security Subcommittee. Administration served on as well as education. So you've got an, uh, uh, you've got a large leadership role with that caucus. If I remember, that was a big deal for us and you. Well, we, we, were, we were honored to be able to serve in that capacity. And then our second term, we became the vice chair of the conference, which is the fourth highest position among Republicans on the GOP House side. Wow. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. The, uh, but they didn't give you a bigger office, did they? No, no bigger office. And, <laughs> no uh, more pay. <laughs> no, and not, 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 certainly not any more love. <laughs> no, put you on the hot spot. Yeah, I know. Uh, well, I guess what we'd like to do is let's start out with this uh, information that Odell just read and uh, maybe give get a backstory to it, because I'm sure there is. Sure. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll try to stay out of the weeds best that I can. I, I think it really started when the when our districts changed in 2019. Uh, the, the, the state legislatures have the authority to draw the district lines and they had redrawn them and Put me into a district where uh, the, another gentleman who's now running for uh, for U.S. Senate, Mr. Bud, um, I had 55% of the constituents and he had about 34%. So I, I was in a position of seniority. I walked over from the Longworth building to the Cannon office and met with him. And I just said, look, I'll, I'll, I'll step away from Congress. You stay in Congress. I'll run for the U.S. Senate. I've already been talking about it. And uh, that's what we decided to, to do. Uh, had met with the president in the Oval Office a couple of times and I thought we had his support. In fact, uh, he, he, he verbalized that. Uh, I remember standing up there across the Resolute desk with the president and I, and we were talking about running for U.S. Senate in, in 2020. 
And I just said, uh, Mr. President, I don't think this is the time to do this, but anything else that I run for, and he interrupted me, he said, Mark, anything that you run for, you'll, you'll have our support. So it was a little bit of a curveball this year earlier when he went a different direction. And I know he might've gotten some information uh, from a former chief of staff or something that made a quick decision. In fact, I'd gotten word that he made the decision on the plane ride to Greenville, where we had just won the straw poll by 44%. But but look, that's that's life. We, we've seen this stuff happen inside politics. Uh, and then recently, uh, now that the district lines, North Carolina's population is moving us from 13 members of Congress to 14 House representatives. And so the lines were drawn where there was one particular district that I have represented more than 70 percent of. Uh, it includes a lot of central North Carolina without breaking it down too much. Well, I, I got a call uh, from uh, different entities that asked me to come to Mar-a-Lago to try to work out something with the former President Trump. Uh, so I did. I'd certainly be courteous there. And I get in the room and I've got President Trump seated to my right and the president of a super PAC, a Club for Growth, a guy by the name of David McIntosh to my left. And they're trying to tell me all the good reasons I should be running for the U.S. House instead of the U.S. Senate. Now, I'm, I'm not born at, you know, what was say, born at night, but not last night. I, I, I appreciate <laughs> the love, but I know they've got a different uh, motive, an agenda motivation there on their part. But, but it was a good meeting. I told him that we would pray and process through this, and, and we will see. And that's kind of where we are up to this moment. Um, our heart is to run for the U.S. Senate. If you look at uh, what I feel like that our record is, uh, of being able to hold the conservative line, to be able to talk about what individualism is and personal responsibility and limited government in our lives, but also to take this place into different places and different communities. I, I was thinking about this today. The last time that John Lewis walked across the Edmund Pettus Bridge, I was able to go with him. I was invited to go with him. And when we get back to Martin Luther King's church there in Montgomery, Alabama, uh, which is now called Dexter Avenue King Memorial Baptist Church, I looked around, there's 48 Democrats and two Republicans that were there. Wow. And, I, and, I, and I, 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 I appreciate the fact that I was invited. It doesn't make me any less conservative, but it does speak to the approach that we have in our communities and working with each other, specifically in our differences. And boy, we need that. I'll tell you what, we don't need any more decisiveness and uh, name calling and all that stuff. We need people to work together uh, to get some things done. Uh, it's, you know, it, it, boy, I, I appreciate that. And folks, let me give you a little context of Mark's background. Uh, he's, he's a Baptist preacher, correct? I was a Baptist pastor for 16 years. Yeah. And, uh, Lord put on his heart to run for Congress here in North Carolina. And the, that Congressman had been in Congress like 28 years or 30, 30 years, 30 15 years, 15 terms, 15 terms. And he was loved by the community. So I remember the first time, uh, chief justice, Paul Newby introduced us. And it was a men's retreat. And uh, he says, I want to introduce you to somebody who's going to run for Congress. And I said, oh, okay, well, who's he going to run against? And he said, Howard Coble. I said, holy cow. <laughs> and I met him and, and uh, we, we've developed a friendship. And make a long story short, through a lot of trials and tribulations, Mark won. He, he won. He, had, you know, he didn't have a lot of money. didn't have a lot of staff. Uh, he's probably running on empty most of the time. And uh, God blessed him. He put up some barriers, uh, some very sure. strong political people in the area, put their son up and uh, and uh, had a strong political name. And, and Mark had to do a runoff with him and Mark won the position. Hmm. So that's the background. I, th I think that's a, a testament more than just me. It's a testament to all of us that we 
we do our best to stay close, certainly to our faith to the Lord, but we also have to do what's in our heart. Uh, we're always going to, whatever role uh, that you're in or your audience is in, you're going to face obstacles and adversity. And I think what we have to discern is, are these just mountains or, or obstacles to overcome? Or sometimes are these closed doors guiding us a different direction? And as a person of faith, I believe that's where my walk with the Lord is so important to be able to have that discernment because sometimes you're faced with things that both our instincts or intellect, there's just not, let me speak for myself, there's not enough there to be able to work through this. And that's where our faith is such a huge part, even in a place like this, where that's the political arena. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting you say that because you were talking about closed doors and I talk about open doors because when God starts opening doors and he giving you that nudge, if you don't go through it, you're in trouble. Yeah. Cause he'll yes. make your life pretty well, tough. He loves you enough to, 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 the Bible talks about chastisement sometimes. Yeah. And, and listen, I've been on the receiving end of that sometimes when I've taken a pass where it's just a moment of speaking a word of encouragement. Sometimes you get so caught up in our own day that we miss those windows and opportunities. And when that, when that spirit begins to prompt us, I, I certainly want to do my best to be obedient to it. Yeah, absolutely. And then the same thing when doors close, He's, he's shutting them so he can guide you where you're supposed to go. And I saw that in your, your, your whole campaign. And I see a similarity to the U S Senate. Uh, they're dangling things in front of you, hoping you go through them. But if God doesn't want you to go through it, you're not going to be successful. Well, people have to remember, Bill, the swamp is just as deep on the Republican side as it is the Democrat <laughs> side, right? I mean, we, we like boats. <laughs> you do. And uh, we think sometimes that uh, I guess the establishment think that people react to a certain way if you dangle this or dangle that. And I think that's what has drawn so much frustration from the American people is the system, the game that's played scratch your back, I scratch mine and all these deal making type things. And, and I'm not trying to sound puritanical here. But I think I, I want to be the type of person. Look, I'm just an everyday guy. I remember, I remember getting to Congress, and the first week I was sworn in, my chief of staff brings in this uh, newspaper. Either it's the Washington Post, or the Wall Street Journal. And there's an article in there listing me as the least wealthy member of the 114 <laughs> class. Oh, and, I, and my first reaction is like, well, how do they know this information? Yeah. But but that's that's who we are. We're just an everyday person that has had some extraordinary opportunities. And uh, no matter who says this or trying to say, if you'll do this, then we'll do this. I'm willing to listen to that. But, but it, at the end of this process, I have to do what I feel like is right in my heart and what capacity, no matter the title, what capacity allows me to continue to serve the people of North Carolina. Good for you. Good for you. You know, and there's, there's a lot of dynamics. If you're in North Carolina, there's two other people running for this Senate seat. And, uh, and then you've got to go to general election. And one of them was endorsed by Trump, uh, even though Mark had won the straw poll and everybody was a little shocked at that, including his family and him. Uh, and uh, but, you know, I think that what's happened is you've got three potential candidates and two candidates are going to cause the third candidate to win because they're <laughs> going to break up. And and it's pretty evident who that is. Uh, and I think that's where uh, probably Trump and his Republican buddies are saying, hey, we want we want this guy in, so you got to drop out. And listen, and we've 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 had a lot of wonderful support. Uh, people like Mike Huckabee, Senator Tim Scott, and others who, even though Coach Dundee, Coach yeah, Coach Tony Dungy. I mean, I love this guy. You talk about somebody who lives out his faith. Uh, they're on uh, the football uh, football tonight in America. I believe that is the program every Sunday evening. These are the kind of people that I'm very proud to say yes. I'm 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 happy to have their support, and and we're aligning with them and. 
and continue to move forward. Ultimately, the people asked me, a reporter asked me the day, said, well, what do you, how do you feel, do with all this pressure? I don't, I don't feel any <laughs> pressure. I mean, it's, and, and I don't mean to be uh, uh, in, in a way that I look at this flippantly, but I, I feel like that if my step is confidence in my walk with the Lord is where it needs to be, then, then, then I'll be okay, whichever direction God leads us. Good. Very good. Odell, I've kind of monopolized the conversation here. No, you want no. to jump in? This, this, I, I'm, I'm just blown away. And, and I went to school in South Carolina in the 60s. So the miseducation of the black man, per se. So let me just dot, dot, Jeff, dot, 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 and make sure I get this right, Congressman and Bill. Congressman, you said that once everything was redrawn, you went over to Congressman Bud's office and had an adult conversation with him, and you all came away with an agreement. And then you went to the Oval Office and talked with the president and had an adult conversation and came away with an agreement. And then you sat there with your family and what you thought was an agreement wasn't an agreement in Greenville, North Carolina. And then you were, I don't wanna say summons, asked to come down to Mar-a-Lago, have a conversation. And you told the most powerful man in the Republican party, uh, I'll consider that. Is that, let me think about it. Let me pray about it. Is that kind of how it went? Well, I, not verbatim. Uh, you know, I, I was certainly respectful. I don't want to give the impression that, uh, you know, I'm like, you know, uh, like, yeah, I, I, my people will call your people at some point, but, uh, but, uh, but <laughs> okay. yeah, look, I, 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 I think that, uh, I had a chance to talk with him a little bit one-on-one and said, you know, six months and ago, him I, is, we talking about the president, the president, the, president, yes, the former start, president, Donald Trump, that would be Got correct. It. And, uh, so look, so look, six months ago, you, you endorsed the wrong guy it goes on paper. Uh, it, here's the crazy thing. We're, we're listed as the number one America first. So it's not like that. We're not, uh, hitting all the buttons and, and standing up for what we believe in and what we need to believe in. Uh, so I, so I did confront him a little bit, not, not disrespectful or anything, but, uh, but yeah, that's, that's kind of the way it went down. And, um, you know, I, I really haven't zoomed out enough to say, hey, I was just, you know, sitting there with the president, you know, but I didn't feel I felt and it's interesting because I've been with the president many times in the Oval Office. And there's always an intensity there, because if if you want to get something across, you have to understand that a 30 or 35 minute conversation with President Trump means you've got two to three minutes to talk about what you need to talk about. And so going into that, because he goes all over the map, talks about whatever, just you know, and uh, so. So but I was I will tell you this and I'm, I'm just being transparent. I was completely comfortable in that environment, just expressing my, I felt like I didn't have anything to lose. This is who I am. That This is where we are. And. And, uh, and I, I will add this part. I haven't shared this. I don't believe to the, the gentleman sitting to my left, which is the president. His name is David McIntosh of the club for growth, the super PAC. I just leaned over and looked him in the eye. I said, look, while, while we're here in the same room, I want you to know that I know that, you know, I'm the best candidate, uh, running in this U.S. Senate race. Wow. He didn't really have a lot to say, but just kind of uh, dropped his head, not trying to sound too cowboy, but I just, I just felt like that was the moment to kind of, to speak our heart in the matter. Well, I, you know, I it's think... something. Yes, the, Bill, excuse me. The article says, the political article says, and while he courted Trump's support, talking about Congressman Walker, Walker's brand of Christian conservatism has eschewed full blown Trumpism. I, I'm black, Mark. I'm the good looking black guy who's a Christian. Help me understand, and a Democrat. So help me understand your form of Christianity versus Trumpism. What's the, what's the article talking about? 
Well, I, I, I mean, as a former pastor, I, I'm of the opinion there's only one form of Christianity, and uh, and that's either you, either you accept Christ as your Savior or you do not, and and then you walk accordingly. So, and and I think that's I think what she's capturing there are there have been moments and times where I have to speak out on certain issues. I I remember being at uh, the Greenville rally there when. There was a, a racist chant that began, send her back. Uh, now, the lady that you were talking about, Omar, I don't agree with her policies, and I believe that, that some of the things that she believes in are, are potentially damaging to our country. But everybody in that room knew the undertones of what that meant. And they have friends and family that have gone through this over the decades. When that, that was used as a send him or send her terminology, it was talking about send the minority or the African-American person back to the mother country, Africa. So they knew the tones, and I just I spoke out on it. And and sometimes you don't know if you're speaking artfully enough or exactly, but but there was a struggle that I had. How could you be in that room listening to that without calling calling it what it was? And uh, so, so there are moments, and I think Bill and Odell, I think that's, that's what leadership is all about is in those moments to make sure that, that you have the strength to push back because ultimately this should be more than just about winning the argument. It should be about making a difference. And if you sit on your hands and don't speak out at some of the atrocities or some of these things that we've seen to me, you're not a leader. You're just someone that's looking to gain some kind of political fame or fortune. Yeah. Well, you know, Mark, you know, when you talk about that and and Bill, jump on this for me, when you talk about it and me and Bill did a show on January 6th, it's hard for me as a black person. And I look at what happened on January 6th to see some other individuals, Republicans in the house, the house that you took me to. But people don't know, Mark invited me to President Barack Obama's final State of the Union address. And he gave me a tour of the house, the rotunda. I mean, it was just beautiful. So I, I've been there. Bill, you've been there also. Mark, it's hard for me to understand people saying what happened didn't happen. It's hard for me to say, how can you say that didn't happen, man? Come on, guys. Come on. It did happen. I mean, we have to be honest that that what happened that day um, was was a dark day in our history. I mean, there's no other way to step around it. I'm not saying that that weren't agitators. I'm not saying that there weren't people provoking. Yet there are many, many people that made the decision to break the law that day and behave stupidly, and uh, and they should be held accountable. And I think they should all be in due process. I know some are being held a year now uh, in some pretty tough conditions. Those folks should have due process. And look, and, and at the same time, I was on a bus at 1 a.m. that morning with a group of about 50 going to Greensboro. They wanted to go and talk about what they believed in. And, and, and they were, they're all wonderful, good people. None of those were part of this craziness that went on, but we cannot ignore some of the behavior that took place that day. It was wrong. It was unjustified. And, and I think those folks should be held to the letter of the law. I think the conservative position, uh, I hope that's everybody's position. I think where some of the frustration is, is a lot of the things in the behavior that we saw leading up to that, that, that some of our downtown areas and some of our cities and some of our places where there was a look the other way mentality because of the egregious. I think there, that's where the argument is. Well, it should be fair for both sides. And I think that's where we've got to figure out how do we, how do we equivalent the law in a way that, that, that everybody is held accountable at the same time. I don't believe in a quid pro quo. You know, they did bad, so we get to do one right. bad. I don't believe in that. Uh, I'll tell you where my issue is. Uh, I, I voted for Trump twice. I'm not going to ever vote for him again. And I, I'm going to be very cautious of candidates that he endorses. And I'll tell you why. 
um, he did a lot of great things. I mean, what he did with Israel, what mm-hmm. he did with the economy, what he did with energy. I mean, he's done a lot. Of, and I, I wanted a business person in that job that could run the country kind of like a business. I mean, what he did with the vaccine, he got that done. <clears throat> but where, where he failed me in, in, I was having a hard time was all these tweets that was bugging me, but you know, I get through that, you know, guys, a little quirky, uh, yeah, I'm a little quirky, so I don't have, I don't have any, if you ask my wife, she says I'm a lot quirky, <laughs> uh, but here's, here's where I fell down on supporting Trump. We're in the middle of a pandemic. Why are you inviting people to DC? I mean, you have a right to, to say the election was stolen. It was, it was wrong. Okay. Protest in your state, go to your state capital, go to your local people, you know, why do you got to come to DC? Cause you know, when you'd come invite those people to DC, guess who you're inviting troublemakers. And they were people ready to riot. I mean, that was planned. That, that wasn't spontaneous. Well, we never want to take away people's right to protest or the freedom of speech. And even when it's uncomfortable, even when it's something we may not want to hear, but the moment there's a violent element through it, you cross a completely different line. Amen. And that's, that's what, you know, our founding fathers, and they didn't look, we didn't get it all right. Day one. Uh, you know, when we talked about all men were created equal, that was more aspirational. It was a goal, but what they did, they laid the tracks to be able to work to those places to in 1920, the suffrage act, the right for women to vote. And, and even though we had, you know, January 1st emancipation proclamation of 1863, it was another hundred years before we really started making progress in these areas, but they laid the groundwork that, that people could rise up in this country that a lady could say, I'm not moving out of my seat here in Alabama in this bus. You had that right to speak against, speak truth against power. And we, that's what separated America. That's what's made us so exceptional. We're the most philanthropic country in the world. We send people to remote places to bring hope and healing, uh, all the, all these different things that we take in, what well, we got 25% more foreign born citizens than any other country in the world. And we celebrate that. And the foundation of that has been the freedom of speech and the freedom of religion. So we never want to do anything that pushes back. But when you abuse that and you take it to the next level and it's threats of violence, then that's a different ballgame that has to be pushed back on. Yeah. Uh, You've probably had threats to you and your family. We have. We've had to actually call in the Secret Service at times. Uh, Specifically, our daughter was 12 at the time. We had somebody that was tracking her and putting pictures of where she went to school and they found some 50 year old guy living literally in central North Carolina in his parents' basement that was creating that. And it was, it didn't turn out to be a threat, but we, yeah, you have stuff like that in any position that, that of, of authority or leadership that you, you're going to have knuckleheads and look, we live in a depraved society, but that doesn't take away the virtues of what America has been able to accomplish in the land of opportunity or what, or what we want to continue to accomplish with this great country that God has blessed. You know, I agree. I, I, I agree with freedom of speech. In 1968, I was at the Democratic Convention and got tear gassed and chased and almost wow. arrested. Yeah, uh, I was part of that hippie, yippie, dippy sure. yeah. and uh, against Nixon in Vietnam. Uh, and so I've got to see, you know, we went there just to kind of see what was going on and kind of have a party. And yeah. then the bad element came in. And sure. that's when everything went crazy. I, I think I think in in zooming out here and looking at the political differences, all three of us have different political positions. I'm I mean, I don't run from the fact that I'm I'm a pretty strong individualism conservative worldview. But I think what we have to realize is 
is that is that something that is our identity is wrapped up in is our political positions or is there something greater that our identity should be considered as far as the reflection? And I think if we're able to look at that, not to try to sound Pollyannish here, but if I truly believe the way that I do that less government is better, is my goal to get my finger in your face and prove you wrong? Or is it to say, Bill, I want you to look at some of this because I believe this is better for our community. It's better for society. It's better for our country. We've lost that. It's all about digging in your positions, the name calling, the bomb throwing, because in our culture, that's what gets you more social media likes. It's yep. what gets you more clicks. And that's why I applaud what you guys are doing, this finding common ground that just doesn't exist out there right now. Yeah. And, you know, it's 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 not a popular subject. Uh, and it's not one that's controversial right now. So it doesn't have, you know, the CNN's call and say, what are you guys talking about? Uh, but, you know, the, it's, it's interesting. We, we had a couple of guests on Bob Berg and he talked about society has gone from uh, you, you and I have a disagreement to now I, I'm right. You're evil. And, yeah. and, and that's, Hit it on the head. Well, we, we don't we don't teach critical thinking anymore uh, as far as having some kind of argument or intellectual debate uh, that allows us to flush out the differences where we can see where we can work together, but also work on the differences. It's yes, it's your I'm good, you're evil. And and then we, then it's toxic from there on in. And then I go to my social media. I try to cancel you. You try to cancel me. And and we're not we're, we're this proverbial hamster wheel, what is which which is very unhealthy for our society. And we've got to figure out a way to cut through all that because all these different cable news, they're, they're advertising, they're playing to an audience. Uh, they have a certain way that they're bringing the news, if you will, bringing the information. And that's, that's changed in the last few decades and we're at a different place. No, no yeah. question. Have you ever experienced fake news? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, that's yeah, absolutely. There's things going to be said about you both in social media and in print media. I'll give you one quick example. If I've got time here. Yeah. So uh, <clears throat> speaker, Paul Ryan, we were uh, looking for a new chaplain. And uh, he'd asked me, knowing my background as a pastor and as vice chair of the conference, he said, I want you to lead. I'm going to get two or three guys. I want you to lead an effort as far as searching out who the next chaplain for the United States Congress should be. So I said, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll happy to handle that. So uh, I, I think it was the next day I'm walking off the chamber's floor. Now, if you walk off the chambers, this is uh, if you get a visual of this where the president gives the State of the Union there's two doors on either side. That's kind of where you exit. You can go out the back as well, but there's a speaker's lobby is what they call there where a lot of the press hang out. So one of them stopped me. And within seconds, uh, it's interesting because you have two, six, eight, 12, 15, 16 reporters, all with their cell phones recording you. And one of them asked me, so what are you looking for in the next chaplain? Well, immediately I thought about uh, somebody that's got experience in dealing with people this age who have adult children. So I said, well, I'm looking for somebody with family experience uh, that's had a chance to serve either a, a, a church or something. Well, that night on CNN, it says Walker is anti-Catholic because I didn't think about parish. I didn't think about, uh, make, you know, I, I didn't think the guy had to be married to be a chaplain, but anything that you say sometimes oh, can be captured and spun uh, where you can be part of that. That's why you have to be careful. But I think ultimately, I think in time, when people can see your heart, it allows you to push back at some of that. Yeah. I just want to ask you, are you crazy, man? Are you crazy <laughs> preacher, man? You, you spoke out against Jerry Falwell Jr. You, you know, you call for him to resign. Mm -hmm. You speaking of, uh, you told the president, the former president, no, let me think about it. You think you're in church or you think you're in Washington? Well, help me. You know what? There are some people that have asked that question a couple of times before you have my good friend Odell. Uh, you know, I, 
I, I just, I don't know how people have asked me that. I don't know because I don't know something different. I look, I, I have flaws. I have weaknesses and, and God is working on me every day, but I'm, I'm just going to be transparent and tell you what I see, uh, whether it is on our side or, or their side, uh, whether that means the evangelical side or the Republican side, or because if we want to get if we want to improve, if we want to reach people, and, and as I said, if that's truly our message, then sometimes you've got to do your own house cleaning. And one of the problems in our political parties is that we don't hold our own accountable. We kind of look the other way when things are done and when things are said. And look, I, I served on the uh, music faculty advisory board there at Liberty University, and 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 people kept saying, well, nobody's going to speak out on this. And I felt like, well, I'm not trying to be David with five smooth stones here, but somebody's <laughs> got to address this behavior because more than just politically, it was dishonoring. It was dishonoring to the faith, dishonoring to the institution. And that's why we had felt like we needed to address this. You get a ton of blowback when you do, like who died and made you, you know, yep. king to, to do this. And, and I'm not doing that for that reason. I hope my heart's in the right place. Uh, but that's but that's part of our cultural thing is that well well don't say anything because that person's on our team. Mm. Wow, hey, Mark the uh, the Republican you know uh, there's an investigation going now on January 6th, and the Republicans really didn't support that. Uh, and and uh, what's your thoughts on that? Well, that's a that's a very very fair question. Uh, I I it's it's problematic. Let me start currently and then back up if I could. Uh, when you have two Republicans that are the most anti-Trump Republicans on the committee, it does put a little bit of damper on any kind of investigation. If you go back to the Benghazi hearing, that was where you had an equal group of pro and anti as far as what was going on. And you could actually get to the facts. Trey Gowdy and Elijah Cummings were in that particular hearing. Uh, I, I do have some problems with this one. Uh, now, if you back up, like I said, it would, uh, it should have been, if you're going to have an Democrats control the house. So they get put together these select committees. You need to put together something that have people that are willing to take a, a, a fair look at both sides of the thing. There were things as we talked about that happened that were there that were very bad that day that the proverbial question that needs to be answered is, was this premeditated? Was this something that Trump intentionally uh, wanted to have happen as has been accused or what this committee is investigating. And if you want to get, if you truly want to get to the facts of something, that's why we have independent juries in our court system and our judicial system is because we're looking for unbiased people to come to. That's where I feel like uh, this, this is a little bit tainted already because you already have everybody serving on the committee that has one particular perspective of the former president, which is not very healthy. Yeah. I, I tend to agree with that. I, I guess I was a little surprised that the Republicans didn't want to even investigate now, that, that kind of bothered me. Yeah. The, the, I, I think that the, the investigation needs to see what, 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 what entities were part of this? Was there a group meeting in the what I've heard Mayflower Hotel that were trying to stoke the crowd? Mm. Uh, because listen, I'm not trying to give President Trump a pass. I've been very honest about him, but there are sometimes players and handlers that are giving him information or that are trying to do something for their own fame or fortune and making it look like that they're attached to him. Uh, anybody should be held accountable. Nobody is above the law, but nobody's beneath it at the same time. Yeah. You know, I have two experiences with uh, people that were involved. Uh, one of them, we have a hunt camp up in Virgilina and this guy, Charles, he's in jail. Now he was wow. a chart. He was the head of proud boys in North Carolina. He's from Kernersville. He was in our hunt camp and he was an ex-military. And, uh, one weekend I, after a weekend, I went up there and he had a bunch of his buddies come and, uh, from the military, they were all out of the military 
and some might have been in it. And the whole backyard was blown up. Trees were blown up. And I'm like, what in the world happened? So the next time I saw him, I said, hey, what are you guys doing? He said, oh, it was a bachelor party. And we just, some of the guys brought some big things up. Well, turns out they were doing maneuvers on the property. Later on, we found out after he got arrested. <clears throat> the second one was um, I built a pole barn in the backyard. And I had a guy come out to do it, who I've known for years, uh, worked on this house. He's a construction guy. And this was before January 6th. And he goes, uh, Bill, something's big going to happen on January 6th. Wow. And I, I didn't even know what he was talking about because I didn't know what was going on January sure. 6th. And, uh, and I just let him talk. And he says, yeah, I have a friend from Fort Bragg who retired. And there's going to be a huge insurrection in D.C. I can't tell you what. I can't tell you when. But it's going to happen. And after that happened, I haven't talked to him about it. I've seen him once and asked him about it. Uh, he hasn't brought it up, mm -hmm. uh, but next time I see him, I'm going to ask him, I say, whatever happened to that? Yeah. Uh, so how'd that work for yeah, you? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting that he knew that and he's a little old guy from North Carolina. It might've been fairly well organized. Well, that's that. I see your point. Uh, I think if, if you look at some of, and a lot of the DO, the, the DOJ hasn't released a lot of the video footage and they should, I think full transparency is important. Uh, but if you look at the the vast majority, if there were thousands of people, I think 700 people have been arrested on this uh, with with over 100,000 people there. You're talking about 99% of the people, whether we agree with them or not, if they wanted to go and voice their opinion on how the election went or whatever, they should, as we talked about, should have the right to do that. Like I said, uh, for these 700 people, uh, if they're found guilty, I mean, throw the book at them. Uh, I have no problem with that because Amen. that that is something that, um, you know, it's one thing. People say, well, it's just repeating of history. No, it's not repeating of history, because if you look at history, we were going against a foreign entity. Uh, there's a way that we debate against fellow Americans. There's a way that we take our ideas in the public square. And as we talked about with the violence behavior there, and I know other people say, well, well, they didn't have guns or things. Well, tell that to the Capitol Hill police officers that were getting beaten with some of the sticks and some of the rods there. I mean, it, it, Republicans, conservatives, we need to talk about this as well. Yeah. Look, doesn't mean, look, I don't want to give the picture here that I'm not going to continue to speak out and stand up. And if you want to use the word fight for what we believe in, I believe there's an overreaching federal government that wants to control everything from education to health care to even some of the ways that we do our voting methods. And we've got to stand up. We've got to speak back. And Thomas Jefferson talked about this. A, a government, an absolute government can, could, uh, corrupts absolutely. We, the, the great thing about the experiment of America is that the people were the ones that were going to speak power to the government, not the other way around. And there are places where that's gotten loose. We should fight and stand and push back against that. But there's a way that in America, we've always been able to do that without having to bring the sword and the spears and the clubs and everything. Else. Amen. Amen. And, and that, you know, there was always supposed to be tension in democracy. Yes. I mean, it's part of the deal. The founding fathers wanted this friction yeah. to happen in Washington, DC, that would produce the best result for the American yeah. people. That's, that's the way that it was designed. And, and for the most part, it's worked out pretty well. There are some places, as I said, that it's gotten off the banks a little bit, and that's where we've got to speak out against yep. it. You know, we had a guy on here, Chad Oakley, who runs uh, Charles Harris downtown, a big executive search firm. And he, his culture is tension. It's part of, he says, I get a better product when people challenge each other. But he doesn't call it confrontation. He calls it carefrontation. Hmm. I care about you, but I'm going to have a confrontation. But, so it's carefrontation. And first thing I look at you, you're a good person. We have a different opinion. Let's see if we can build on those different opinions and make something better. Yeah, that's that's the, certainly the goal. It's it's the longer goal. 
because uh, if you're just looking for short-term success, that method doesn't work. Because if it's just short-term success, you're looking for this little flare, this little moment of glory, 15 minutes of fame to use that cliche. But if you're willing to make the long-term investment, you got a chance to see yeah. some real difference made. I'll give you an example. I grew up in Cleveland and uh, Dennis Kucinich yes. was from Cleveland. Talk about a flash. He was, he, he was, he was, he was the OC before OC. <laughs> he knew all the tricks. One of the things that as a black person, what we say behind closed doors is, is America having hiccups, Bill and Mark and Odell, because they had the first black president. And after that, that pen pendulum swung so much that maybe white people said, oh my God, we're losing control. And when people We'll talk about the population that by year, such, 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 a, the browning of America, anything like this. When I look at January 6th, two things come to mind is that they knew better and we knew better. Let me explain. As Black Lives Matter, that I'm very proud of, if Black Lives Matter protesters would have went up that Capitol and pulled the stunt that was pulled on January 6th, it would have been bl Black bodies and red blood all over the Capitol. We as Black people know, so we knew better. The folks who stormed the Capitol, the riots on January 6th, the white folks who were there, they knew better. They knew they weren't going to be killed. They knew they weren't going to be shot. Now, one of them did get shot, and I'm sorry for that. But that's as a Black person's perspective in America is almost like it's double standards from time to time. And that's where the frustration comes in. And we're still trying to get the Voting Rights Act passed. You know, so that's how we look at it. Or no, no, let's not say we. That's how Odell looks at it. But in spite of that and because of that, the common ground is still we're going to find a place. God almighty, we're going to find a place. So I walk through that. I look through the double standards that I think is there as we look to find common ground. Congressman Mark Walker. What is it so hard about us getting a Voters' Rights Act passer? Well, I think, well, let me touch on a couple of things here. Um, I think we can continue to address the issues of race, but I think we also need to take a pause and celebrate the progress as well. Uh, to give you a recent example, this past November, uh, Republicans in Virginia uh, elected the most diverse uh, legislative uh, executive team ever in the history of Virginia. Uh, you had, uh, both the, the, the Glenn Youngkin was the governor. You also had a black Lieutenant governor and I believe a Hispanic attorney general that had never been done by Republicans. So we want to measure that at the same time where it's not completely one, one dimensional, uh, as well. So that, so those things we, we certainly have to, uh, I think acknowledge as we move forward, doesn't mean that we ignore what's happening, uh, into the heart of your question. Odell, give me, give me the, give me the nuts and bolts of that question one more time. The Voters' Rights Act. Yes. We're trying yeah. to get the Voters' Rights Act passed. Well, here's why that even some Democrat senators are not supporting it is because it allows, and this is where this stuff gets a little hairy, it allows the Department of Justice to come in on areas of dispute, whether it's congressional lines or whether there's other components, for them to make the decision. In other words, um, one of the things about election law that I think has been good, it's been left up to the states. Uh, if North Carolina wants to have 17 days of voting and Illinois wants to have 13 days and North Carolina wants to have uh, 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 open polls here or, or uh, in-person in voting or mass ballot, the states get to make that decision. What this does, it federalizes the, 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 the electoral making, if you will, 
and it allows the DOJ to be the decision maker where their lines are drawn in North Carolina, and it removes the power of the uh, of the people, for example, our state, North Carolina, of electing state legislatures. Now, we can argue gerrymandering and all that, and that's, there's some fair points to be made, but I'm hesitant to turn over these election decisions to more federal bureaucracy, specifically if the DOJ are the ones that's coming into town as the sheriff doesn't mean that we don't need to look at stuff and work on stuff but we do that with electing all the way down to our city council to our county commissioners to our state reps and senators to make those decisions for us as opposed to turning that over to the doj i think that's the sticking point for people like joe Manchin, kirsten cinema and i believe another set of seven or eight democrat senators who voice some problems with that as well well, Mark, what's the difference there? And help me, and I'm asking, not that you're on the witness stand for better understanding, what's the difference in what you just explained, and thank you, from the president, the former president of the United States, picking up the phone, calling the Republican folks in certain states, Georgia, Arizona, what have you, and say, hey, man, I need you to overturn this, or if you don't, then I'm going to primary you. What's the difference? Well, the big difference is, and that's a great question, Odell. The big difference is that there was no authority for him to do that, and that's why it never happened. So the concern is we don't want to give the federal government more power in that area because if you have someone who's not wanting to accept, you certainly don't want to empower them. You Georgia had the power to make that decision, no matter how much they were intimidated, no matter how much they were threatened with people to run against them or, or primary them. It never happened because it was Georgia law, not federal law, that kept that uh, their election process the way they wanted to do it intact. In and that's, I think that's where, um, and that's where the whole argument with, with even some conservatives, you know, talk about Mike Pence didn't do this or Mike Pence doing that. Well, so you're basically telling me that you would be okay with more authority to the federal government. And, and I think that's where the argument is. Mike Pence is a good man. Mike, Mike Pence. Pence is a good man. I don't care what people say. And this coming from the black Democrat, Mike Pence is a good man. And I think the way Mike Pence got treated is horrible. I think he was the scapegoat. I think he was put in a position to your point that the law would not allow him to do what people said he should do. And I mean, what happened when all good men decided they don't want to be bothered with it? Because when good people are quiet, Bill, what happens? Evil reigns. You got it, it certainly does. No, I, I would echo that. Uh, I will tell you this in six years, four years I spent with Mr. Uh, uh, the Vice President Mike Pence. In fact, he called me a couple of weeks ago. There's no one that I saw live out their faith more day to day, legitimately real than Mike Pence. I know he's got positions and everybody approves of, but if you want to talk about somebody that just lives out their faith, that's genuine with it. I didn't see anybody living that more to the full extent than I did with Mike Pence. No, that's great. So I was going to ask you and I decided not to, I was going to say, Mark, can you give not to do a psychological evaluation, but can you give the listening audience your true feeling of what kind of person the former president was. Is that a, a fair statement or let's leave that alone? No, I'm, I'm happy to go there. Uh, it's, you know, I, I'm going to take my politician's hat off here and put my pastor's hat on for a second and address it from a spiritual standpoint. Uh, you know, it's here, here's a man that who's had great success, but here's a man who's also trusted in himself and has never really had any accountability, whether it's to a relationship, uh, whether it's to his faith uh, or to a board. And I think part of the thing that whether it's you, Odell, or Bill or myself, 
there's a refining process that we go through and overcoming adversity and learning what it means to persevere that sharpens iron, sharpening iron and putting people around you that can speak truth in your life. Uh, God allowed me to marry one 29 years ago that has no problem speaking truth in my <laughs> life. Uh, so, 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 but, but to listen, because sometimes we think the way we see it, that, that it has to be that way. And sometimes we miss the mark and God allows us to grow through this teaching process. But here's the, here's the problem with this. You have to have a heart that's willing to be taught. And if it's only one way, Proverbs talks about this person that's, that's, that's ending the life with pride, that they've only seen it from their perspective. And here's the problem with that. And I've seen failures in ministry, politics, and business. When you surround yourself with people who are there only for the purpose to tell you how great you are, you are setting yourself up for the enemy to get a foothold and you to ruin yourself financially, morally, whatever it might be. To me, the people that I admire the most, the people that I feel like are the best leaders are the ones who surround themselves with people who can do so even respectfully, but who have the access and the authority to tell them the truth. That to me makes the great leaders. And to me, President Trump never really allowed for that truth to be spoken in his he life. He had a few people in there, Rex Tillerson being one. Yes, Rex, there were people willing Rex, to do that, but Rex but was, was uh, the challenge was is trying to speak truth to power sometimes yeah. could be challenging. Yeah, he found that out because because <laughs> the, the last chief of staff, Mister Mister Mark Meadows, I believe single handedly was divisive in the relationship between the president and the vice president and created some major problems with that. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, I know you're right. Well, Mark, you're not going to be on President Trump's um, Christmas card list anymore. Just I just want you to know that, my friend. No, I, I, I hope we are. And I mean that, you know, kind of joking, but also seriously that, that I care about President Trump and I think he it would behoove him to put people in his life that have that access, that care about him, not their own agenda to be able to speak truth in his life. And I think he knows that I care about him. He knows that I love him and want the best for him, even at this stage in life. And, and that's the kind of people that I think can really together work to accomplish some things. So I, I have no ill will. I hope there's no ill will back at me because I, I care about him as much as I do other people that I've worked with on either side of the aisle. Well said. You're not intimidated by him though. Give unto Caesar what is Caesar and give unto God what is God and preach a man. You, you, your politics are at the foot of the cross. Well, let me tell you, that's, that's where our hope is. Odell, you and Bill know that as well as I do. And as you know, as there's so many verses in the scripture that, uh, that is, as long as where I, my walk is where I, you don't fear what man can do to you. And, uh, we are more than conquerors. And, and that's, that's ultimately where I believe that our faith needs to be. We're near our end here, Mark. And, uh, we always give our guests the last word and ask them the question, how do you find common ground? Well, I think you have to be intentional. The common ground is not going to come us come to us by osmosis or, or we're just going to read about it. There has to be an intentionality mm. if we're ever going to find it. Well said. Well said. Got to be intentional. I agree. Odell? Well, Bill, is Mark going to make any announcements today? Is he running for a congressman? <laughs> are you running for Senate? Are you running for Congress? Are you telling the president yes? Are you telling the president no? I mean, you're sitting in the catbird seat. I mean, you're the big kahuna, man. You know, we, we didn't, we didn't fabricate or create this position, but, uh, we're, we're, we're going to, I guess it's okay to, to uh, take advantage as much as we can for the next couple of weeks. No, we we're halfway joking there, but we're, 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 we are still processing all this. We've got to wait to see where these congressional lines are to really make a decision. I don't think it's very smart for us to get out there and putting flags in the ground until we know exactly what we're, what we're dealing with here and, and hope to know that I think this process, uh, again, wrapping it up here. Uh, I think it's going to uh, go to the North Carolina Supreme Court. 
where there's four Democrats and three Republicans, where our, our good friend Justice Paul Newby is chief justice. Uh, Sam Irvin is one of those Democrats. I believe he's going to say, you know what, legally, Republicans, you're in charge. You have the authority to do this. But I think we need to toggle some lines here in two or three of these places to make it a little bit more apropos. And I think that's just a, that's just a hunch. I have no evidence to back it up. I think then it's when we'll be able to make a final decision well, you, on it. You don't have a you don't have a, a, a slate to make your decision. You don't have all the facts yet. We only have half of it. That's yeah. correct. Yes. And, uh, and so I think, you know, sometimes you got to push upon and wait. And so even I don't though, always like it, but the Lord asks us to do that from time to time because I'm ready to go right now. <laughs> and I'm with you. I, ready to go. The, uh, well, let me tell you, wherever you end up, you're going to be great for yeah. the state of North Carolina. And we're proud to call you our friend. Uh, I'm glad I got to meet you through Justice Newby. And, and when Odell told me he was going to endorse you, I, I said, it's finally you made a good decision. <laughs> well, he was hoping that Hey, the black Democrat Baptist preacher endorsing the white uh, Republican Baptist preacher. And people says, where's the common ground? What do y'all have in common? Yeah, right. Well, we knew we love each other. We had to figure out the rest of it later. Fill in the blanks. Find Bill and Odell online at thecommonground.show. This podcast is a production of BG Ad Group. Darren Sutherland, Executive Producer. Jeremy Powell, Creative Director. Jacob Sutherland, Director. All rights reserved. Whether you're a big, medium, or small business, managing and growing the bottom line is important. Focus CFO brings the experience and financial acumen of a Fortune 100 Chief Financial Officer to your company at a fraction of the cost. PL help, internal reporting processes, or any business transitions or events, Focus CFO will help you and your team have a CFO in your company's back pocket. Focus CFO. Learn more at focuscfo.com. This podcast is brought to you by Yes Weekly, the triad's largest circulated and best read weekly magazine. You can also find us online at yesweekly.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Yes Weekly, your trusted news leader for local arts, entertainment, music, food, and more for nearly 18 years.